Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, he told me that, and I knew I had this moment where I just said, wow, the bank, I mean, the memories there, what he created there, it had this own, you know, I felt always felt the building had its almost its own life force in a way. But um, we keep referring to it as the bank, and I think we should clarify, I don't think we mentioned, it actually was a bank. You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Moving is never an easy undertaking, and the case of photographer Jay Maisel, moving from a six-story, 35,000-square-foot playground he's called his home for close to 50 years is about as daunting as it can get. Stephen Wilkes, a repeat guest on our show and a legend in his own right, apprenticed for Jay when he was first starting out in the business, and when he heard Jay was selling the bank, as his home was known, he knew it had to be documented. This week, Jay Myself is going to be released at Dark New York City Film Festival, which is opening on November 11th at the School of Visual Arts. We preview the film, and it really blew us away. Over the course of one hour and 17 minutes, we get insights into what makes one of the finest creative minds of our time tick. Stephen Wilkes and Jay Maisel, welcome to our show. This is a treat. Having either one of you here is a treat. Having the two of you here, this is reinforced concrete, this room, and the paint is shaking off the walls. This is good stuff. Um, speaking of paint, Jay, I always describe people as when they so-called mature, their paint dries. You're in your 80s and your paint is still real wet. Yeah. What keeps you going? What's the story? Curiosity. I love it. You like one word answers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tonight, everybody, thank you for joining. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. no, I mean, uh, I, my daughter describes me as being, you know, like a child. Mm -hmm. And one of my nieces once said, no matter how old you are, you're never going to be mature. And that's part of, that's part of it. I, I would say I'm growing old but not growing up. Mm. I think that's part yeah, of that's, it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Stephen, let me ask you, when you first came across Jay's photos, what was it that spoke to you? I mean, because we've read now and we saw in the movie that there was something immediate, enough so that you went down and knocked on his door. But what was it about the photos that spoke to you? I think there was a, um, it was kind of instantaneous, this, uh, the way he um, saw light, color, and, and gesture. Like, it seemed like everything, it had this sense of humanity in it. Um, and I... I just immediately connected with um, with all of those elements, sort of. And there were things that I was being drawn to already at that point in my life. And I, when I saw his pictures, it wasn't just one picture. He seemed to be doing it consistently, no matter what the subject. He had a real a point of view, and, and there was a real feeling. Um, and I think that's what style is, you know. I think he, it, it's mm. kind of him in a way. Um, that horrible word. Style, yeah. <laughs> well, well. I, I, I would, let me finish. Okay. It, it's uh, what style is he always is going to jump I on start me. Now? Why should I start now? To me, it's really you know about feeling yourself in a photograph, and I think I kind of felt him in those pictures. Um, and then I got to meet him and saw the true Jay. And did they, <laughs> and ma did they match the photos? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. They did. Okay. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, who Who was your uh, your your best editor? Was there somebody early in your career that you would show photos to? And you would work it out and talk about it and say, hey. Who you was like your J. Mazel? I don't have one. 
Ah. No, I mean, I, I think that editing is terribly important. I have to put this on the record. Mm-hmm. I know this is going to upset him terribly, but mm-hmm. when I saw Stephen's work, he was an amazing photographer mm-hmm. at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. He was... He had stuff in his portfolio then that would look good in a portfolio today. So I was very impressed with him as a photographer, mm-hmm. as a worker. Eh, mm-hmm. that's another story. <laughs> Can't imagine that. Oh, God, I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Am I finally going to be allowed to publicize it? Oh, go ahead. Please. Help Please. yourself. Go ahead. He, he had come with the idea he was going to work for me. So I asked him... Well, do do you know bookkeeping and everything? He said, oh, yeah, sure. If I had asked him if he had flown into outer space, he would say, yeah, many times, many times. I would have told him I was a brain surgeon. Exactly. (laughs) So during the course of events at one point, I had him doing bookkeeping for me, which makes me just as dopey as anybody. (laughs) And he comes to me with a check to sign, and I said, why am I sending these people a check? They're an advertising agency. Well, I sent you a bill, and the bill is for 3000 and change. And I said, Stephen, it's a purchase order. <laughs> <laughs> we get money. We don't give these people money. But, uh, you know, it's funny you asked that question about an editor. I never had anybody with an editor for me. But of all the people that worked for me, Stephen was the one who really looked at pictures mm. and learned from them. All the other kids did it to get it done for me because mm-hmm. I had him set up all the film. Stephen, it was tough to get the film from him because he was looking at it. Yeah. Everybody was making sure it was right side up. Mm-hmm. He was making sure it was sharp yeah. or that it was well composed. <laughs> that was him. He really that was looked, the joy. He looked at the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. That was, at the pictures. Well, I loved that. That was my favorite favorite time to be able to go. You know, we we... He would say to me, you know, 9 o'clock, go up to Fleet Messenger service, pick up my film, and um, I would go up there, pick up the film, and then we would uh, – I'd go down. I'd get back down to the bank by 9.30, and I would set up every 20 – usually 20 to 40 rolls, whatever he had shot. And then I'd go through every single roll, and we had these set-up cards, and I'd write the name. But I would look at every picture, and then I'd call him. I'd go, oh, yeah, I got the film set up. He goes, yeah, good, good. How's it look? I go, oh, it's great, man. You got this incredible shot on roll five. And then you got this other shot. And he was like, really? Like, <laughs> you looked at it? Like, and, I, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, why don't you just come up? Come upstairs and, and you can so edit you, with me. You said you called him. He was on another floor. Yeah, he of the was bank. on sixth okay, floor. Gotcha, and yeah. so what I would do is I'd bring the film up to six, right. and then and then I would sit down and and very much what the film is is kind of what our kind of that was a very typical mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. for me. I would I'd come into work at uh, about eight in the morning, and I wouldn't leave till probably about eleven because my favorite time of the day was hanging out with him editing. That's where we, you know, I think our friendship and I think where he taught me so much mm-hmm. about you know. Photography, and we would just talk about stuff. You know, it was just this organic kind of magical experience. Mm-hmm. So, are you a night owl? Did you work at night? Did you I edit always, at night? I've always worked late at night. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. very nocturnal. Yeah, I remember I'd come into the building, and I don't know if I ever told you this, Jay, but I, when I'd go, I'd walk up to four. That's where my place was, where mm-hmm. I had a little office up there. And I remember going up, and every Jay would have a had a chalkboard on every floor, mm-hmm. and he would at night. 
literally, I, I never knew he slept at all. He would be <laughs> making notes on this chalkboard. Of, and every day I came in, there was a different note on the board that stuff that had to get done. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I just used to be completely like, what, when do you do this? It's like, when, yeah. you know, it was just that kind of thing. Like, who, who's writing all these things? And I knew it was him, but he was just going up and down. So he's, yeah, very much a night owl, I think. Yeah. So creativity and chaos go hand in hand. Now, uh, you are a, a powerhouse of creativity, okay? How was it working with Jay back in the day? I mean, was it manageable? Because, I mean, I could see Jay going off in 80 different directions, and maybe you're trying to contain them, or is that not the case? Yeah, it seems to be I organized never, chaos. You, well, yeah, that's a great description, I would say. But I, I think he, uh, uh, for me to just describe what I felt, though, is it was uh, when he's locked in on something, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, whatever, whatever it was, if it was like his, today's an engineering project, we're going to figure out how to get a, you know, a 500-pound air conditioner, air conditioner up into the front of the main room. Right. And I, I come back, I, I, you know, again, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm back in there, and he's been up, I swear to God, all night long probably fig- building this, like, foam model of this pulley <laughs> system. I'm not exaggerating. Well, he, he, we did have to yeah, do that. Zorba yeah. the Greek. Oh, right? no, he's, he's, you know, like Rube Goldberg. Like, yeah. he, he's no, amazing. No, no, please. No. That was Teasing. not the Rube Goldberg. That, that was... That was serious shit. Reap that Goldberg was. was I know. Fun. I'm teasing. He was more so, like Joseph. Yeah. No. Like. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Your other mentor, uh, uh, Bucky Fuller. Bucky Fuller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but that I was had, the engineering I side had of Jay. Designed yeah. whole it rig. was an amazing <laughs> and absolutely amazing thing to witness. Going from his model to an actual like execution, it was incredible. But that's what the way he is. You know, he kind of like when he focuses on something like that, he really plans everything. But I would say I I always felt that. You know, in terms of foot photography, it was just like he's just constantly seeing things. So he always had his camera. I always said that I would say that he essentially documented almost every day of his life mm-hmm. through fit pictures. You know, and so like the opening of the film when you see the slides, you know, to me that was the perfect, mm-hmm. perfect description to set up what you're about to see oh because most God. people That's don't know the scale and the depth of his work. You know, mm-hmm. I would argue to say he's most prolific photographer in the 20th century. Well, Jay, would you, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, you know, go ahead. I'm listening. Well, I was going to ask, yeah. is that true? Would Do you feel, or what? What on what days wouldn't you shoot? I mean, what? Oh, why would I not shoot? That, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> no, why would I? I mean, yeah. the point of shooting is not because you're trying to accomplish something as much as you're trying to respond to something. Mm-hmm. So that... I mean, if you're doing something and something else intrudes and causes you to shoot, that's wonderful. I I don't like to plan things. I plan a lot of things, but I don't like to plan my photograph. Mm. And so they they kind of happen. And then if somebody wants to talk to me about it afterwards and say, well, what's the story behind that? I was there. It was there. I shot it. All right. Fair enough. And basically... Uh, he's very different from me because on his first... I never went out with a lot of assistance. I never went out with a lot of equipment or anything. On his first shot, he went out with more equipment than I ever had in my entire <laughs> life, including a lift truck and right. four assistants. Wait, 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 wait. I never had four that, assistants. That's not accurate, though, too, totally, because my first assignment, remember, I went to Europe uh, for AT&T. I wasn't by there. Myself. Yes, you were. You were I, went I was to your Europe associate. With you? No, no, I was your associate at that point. 
And yeah. you, and uh, it was my first job. And I went alone. I didn't have an assistant. I went alone. Uh-huh. And I realized pretty quickly, it's a good thing to have an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but yes, I, I did evolve into that kind of a monster. I, I remember it, yeah. the first job involved the lift truck. I mean, I have really? bad, I'm old. <laughs> I have bad memory. And, and I've been telling this story for years. And I'm, well, keep telling it, right? <laughs> unlike, unlike other people, I'm not just going to change the story because of the facts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jay, let me ask you, what, um, <laughs> what, I mean, we're talking mentor and mentee. What, what has Stephen taught you? I don't know if I would put it on that level at all. I, I just know that I've observed him doing things that I'm not capable of doing. Mm-hmm. He has the ability to worry a thing until it's done. Okay. I, I, I don't have that kind of stay at it kind of thing. I don't do series of things. I don't do continuity. I don't do film. I'm just interested in that one moment that not involved with continuum Mm. or anything except the moment itself. But he, you know, I mean, the day and night things require a kind of a uh, concentrated focus that I I could never do. I mean, that's, I take my hat off to him. Fair enough, fair enough. You also talk a lot about when you're working as me about we referred to this just shortly before, that you go away, that everything else just vanishes, the rest of the, the world. The act of photographing. The act of photographing is becomes the center of everything, and whatever else is going around just goes away. You're not hearing, you're not seeing. Um, and, and when I caught that quote in, in the documentary, it reminded me about a year and a half ago, I was doing a, a, a test of some camera for review, and I was right a few blocks over here by Hudson uh, Square, Hudson Yards, and there's a little sitting area with uh, uh, wire seats, and there were shadows from it. And I started taking picture of parts of the chair and the shadows, and all of a sudden I got a tap on my shoulder. It was a guard. I realized I was draped over this chair, and he <laughs> thought I was sick and needed help. That's and I was just it. draped over the chair taking a picture of the chair. I, the rest of the world went away, and that came to my mind when I hear you talking. Yeah, that's what happens when you really get into taking a photograph. The world goes away. It's you and whatever that is that you're staring at, and you're just tweaking it until it gets to that point. And that's what I think is beautiful about a lot of your pictures. You get that. You really feel that stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. I think that, uh, you know, what Jay said, the act of photographing, that's what it is for me, too, is it's not about the picture. It's about the act of photo. Because how else could I stand photographing for 36 hours straight, if you think about that? So what I'm just doing is essentially I'm focused on one place, but it's the act of photographing that I'm so deeply involved in. I'm just not moving around. I'm just watching things come in and out of a frame. And so in a way, it's I'm not moving through the world just experiencing whatever happens, but it's sort of a different um, type of photographing, but essentially the elements of street and all those other things are very much in my work and what I do. So it is, um, I think at its core, you know, I think we're actually more alike than you realize sometimes, yeah. Well, possibly. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the thing where he thought you were sick. Go ahead. You want to want to carry on about? I that? was just draped over a dra- chair in the middle of the street. What's the problem? I don't see what's wrong with that. I had to drape myself I, over the chair. I think the funny things that happen when you're photographing, unfortunately, don't get covered because um, I was in Texas and I had a young man as my assistant, not not you, Peter, and 
he decided he would like to take a picture of the bank that was across the street from where we were grabbing a bite. And I said, no, nah, don't take pictures of the bank. He said, come on, look, look at the light, the shadow, the letter, the gray, but the shadow, the black. I said, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea to take pictures of the bank. So when they arrested us <laughs> for taking pictures of the bank, you know, people... It, it happened to me too. People perceive you in different ways if you're involved. I agree with you. Street shooting is a difficult art, and one of the things you have to worry about is people's reactions to you, and they may not be rational. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're safe up there. I'm very safe. Talk. Oh, I'm very safe. That's the beauty. Of what I the honestly, bear, yeah. the bear that nearly killed him. Ah, yeah, hell with that. Yeah, I almost got attacked by a bear recently. That was that was yeah. kind of fun. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jay, let me ask when you uh, when you're in the street or in your you know you're shooting, and of course every situation is different. What would you respond to people if they would say, "What are you doing?" or "What are you shooting?" I I I really try and tell the truth mm-hmm. as much as I possibly can. Sometimes it's hard to explain to people why you're shooting, but mm-hmm. basically, I find that if I am as honest as I can be, I may be able to explain it. But sometimes you can't. Yeah. I have a photograph of a guy sitting in front of a wall that's bright yellow and it's got all kinds of colors and things in it, and he works very well. And I'm shooting the shot, and he suddenly gets up, he walks over to me, looks back and says, what the hell are you shooting? (laughs) Now, how do you explain it to the guy that you look great in relation to this, and maybe they'll understand, maybe they won't. But you have to learn to communicate when you're on the street. It's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a part in the movie, a line in the movie where you say, you know, when you came to the door and you came back mm-hmm. and uh, he said, you know, uh, you know, bring that Wilkes kid up to the second floor or something like that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the comment of Oz. Uh, yeah. The comment was, <laughs> you know, you're really fucking good, kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so my question is, how does a, one simple phrase like that change someone's life? Well, I think, you know... Uh, and Jay, as Jay and our, our friendship grew, mm. and, um, he recognized uh, my dad was was a really great father, but he never really believed. Um, as you know, listen, I think as a parent now, you want to always try to make your child's life easier than your life was in a way. And so my father was a businessman. He actually had, was a really talented painter as a young man, but never went that direction because you know he went into business. And so um, early on, my dad kept saying, you know, you're you're just this photography thing, it's a nice hobby, but you're, you know, you're going to go and you're going to be a scientist kid. You're going to work in my lab and that kind of thing. And I remember when I started working for Jay, I was commuting, like I said, from 8 a.m. from Long Island, driving in. My father would, I mean, he was just so, um, me, that's me. Oh, okay. You, you're allowed. Okay. <laughs> I'll start over. So what, uh, what ended up, so what ended up happening was, um, I started to work for Jay when I was literally a junior in college that summer. I had a, he gave me an internship and I would commute from Long Island and, um, eight o'clock in the morning, I'd get home 11 at night. Wow. Jay paid me a hundred dollars a week and I was happier than a clam. And my father was like so angry. He was like, I don't believe what you're doing. It's costing you more in, in gasoline, you know. This guy is taking advantage of you. He's a shyster, you know. He was going on and on. I'm going, Dad, you, you don't understand. You just don't understand what I'm learning. Oh, please, please. So one day my father has this friend who um, says to him, hey, Dave, what's Stephen doing for the summer? And he goes, 
Oh, Stephen, leave me alone. He's working for this guy. He's snoring him. I can't even believe it. I go, what do you mean, Dave? He goes, well, he's, he's paying him like no money. He's commuting every day to work, 8 o'clock in the morning, comes home at midnight. I go, well, who's he working for? Oh, he's working for a guy named Jay Maisel. He goes, your son's working for Jay Maisel? He goes, yeah, well, well he's screwing him too, let me tell you. <laughs> and so his friend goes, Jay, let me ask you something. If Stephen was um, you know, a musician and he was working for Leonard Bernstein, what what would you what would you think? Oh, he goes Leonard Bernstein. Oh my goodness, that'd be fantastic. He goes, well, Dave, Jay Maisel is to photography what Leonard Bernstein is to music, and my father was like, really? Mm. And that sort of changed the dynamic a little bit of understanding what I was getting from Jay. So tell but, him what I did to the car. Oh yeah. So we, uh, I one day I drove the car in, and I knew Jay, Jay and I. Whenever Jay and I got into a car together. Because we're so, one of the things about, I think, our relationship and friendship is that he kind of brings out the child in me. I have a child, but I kind of keep it a little bit more suppressed than him. We want when to I'm talk with to him, you about that. When yeah. I'm with him, I go full, <laughs> I'm in full child mode. So the two of us in a car, it's always said we need Taggart's dual steering wheels because <laughs> we're so busy looking at everything. Somebody's got to watch the road. <laughs> so I pull up in my father's car. And Jay, with, with Donald, with Donald, with my identical twin brother Donald, and uh, and Jay um, looks at it. Hey, man! He goes, and I had no idea Jay like never drives. He goes, "Let me show you where to park. I'll, I'll take it. I'll park the car." And he gets. I just he, we get out of the car. We're like waiting for the bank. He takes the car off, and within. 15 seconds, right? No, 10. 10 seconds. <laughs> he has an accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always better to have an accident with somebody else's car. Yeah, it was, it was like... So, the, so he, there they are, the twins, both going, oh my God, oh, dad will kill us. Dad will kill us. <laughs> I said, listen, I'll pay for whatever it is. You don't understand, we're not supposed to have the car. <laughs> yeah, we were like, this was, we were full-blown, like, illegal. We were dead on arrival. With the, with, the, with the busted car. Yeah, yeah. Funny. So we were trying to, like, convince Jay that this is a really bad thing, Jay. You may not see me again after this. You know? <laughs> so how long did the, um, let's call it the mentor relationship last? And, and was there a moment where you, you could have felt, all right, I'm past that. Now we're talking as equals or we're talking as professionals well, with I, each other? I, Jay made me his associate, like, um, probably after the... When I got out of college, I showed him my pictures from China. That was the first time where he really looked at my work, and he goes, "Listen, man, you know, you just you you need to start doing your own thing." He was he was the one who really pushed me out, mm -hmm. really, and uh, and I said to him, you know, the truth is, Jay, I can't I can't afford that really right now. I don't, you know, I can't afford. It. He goes, "Well, what about if you become my associate?" And so he um, kind of offered me this incredible opportunity where, um, you know, he would. Take a percentage of my income, and it was a healthy percentage. Ninety, ninety, seems that, fair. Yeah. That was fair. it. Was it was seventy five percent actually? <laughs> and it, it was a big percentage. And yeah, I couldn't get out of the relationship as fast. <laughs> as I wanted. He was just doing so well, and I I ended up. Um, with, uh, the, he said it, and he was true. You first three years in business, you're lucky if you make twenty five percent. So Jay, you know, um, set this whole thing up. And he said, "I'll give you an office. You can shoot as much film as you want." But and it was an amazing thing because he really, I think the the greatest lesson was he really taught me my value. 
you know, because I think as a young photographer, you don't really understand mm -hmm. what your value is. Oh, you know, yeah. you might have really great pictures, but you don't really know what the market rate is. You don't want to underbid everybody. You don't want to cut everybody's throat. And Jay was like, you know, right out of the gate going, no, man, that's not enough money. I go, Jay, I never thought I'd make that much money mm. in a year, let alone in, you know, a couple of weeks. And he was very, very much like, no, kid, this is what you charge. This is how yeah. you do it. And so um, it was... Um, was really an incredible opportunity for me, and, and certainly I learned so much during that period. And then we spent, that was about two years of being Jay's associate. And then, like, you know, I think he was getting tired of me, and the guys in the office were probably like, who the hell is this kid? Um, and they and so I decided, and my wife said, I think you need to do your own thing. So uh, we, uh, my wife Betty, uh, who I met at that time, we moved into a, a, her studio apartment, and I ran my business off of a little fold out coffee table for about three years until things kicked in. Yeah. You didn't answer his question. Okay. Though. What was that that I miss? Oh, well, when did I feel? Okay, yeah. sorry. I kind of a roundabout way. Okay. I think that um, I, I've always, you know, over the years continue to learn from him. You know, mentoring is a funny thing. I, I do feel that I reached a point where I started to carve my own direction. And so... As much as, you know, I think and any assistant, if you're really honest, when you work for a great photographer in depth like I did, the first year, two years, you start making pictures and you can say, oh, that's kind of a Jay picture mm -hmm. or that's a Steven picture. And, and you know, because, you know, you're, if, you're, if you've really given that artist everything you have, you're, you're, it's, a, it's an, an osmosis that happens. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is there's this distillation where you begin to sort of begin to feel your own self come through. And with Jay, I remember there was a moment I showed you one of my slides and it was a picture I did of um, a swimming pool ladder. Um, it was called the deep end. And he looked at this picture and he goes, like he felt me in this picture. I knew he did. And I felt me in this picture. And I knew that that was something that, you know, was different. It, it was, I had suddenly defined where I could go as a photographer in a very clear way. And, um, you know, like Jay said, one of the things that for me was always about developing uh, projects and he always encouraged me to do personal work. And so what I, 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 I did it, I, I took, took full um, note of every time, you know, you know, he said, you're going to get successful commercially and then you get on that wheel and it's going to be very hard to get off that wheel. So I always carved out time, no matter what I was doing to do personal projects. And, and I think as I, I started doing each one of those things, I started to get more and more comfortable with myself and who I was. Mm -hmm. And our relationship, I think, over the years evolved from that, you know. Jay, did you take on anybody else the way you uh, took on to uh, Stephen? Because this is really an investment of time and patience and uh, true mentorship. Did you do anything this, like this for anybody else or was this Never. special? Never. I learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you should contextualize Steve, that Steven, a little bit. Stephen yeah. was really good. And it seemed to me, it always has seemed to me, to be ashamed when people are really good and they can't get anywhere. So I, I wanted to make sure he got started. I mean, this is something I felt strongly. Uh, there was one guy who came to my studio and I threw him out. And I threw him out because he was good. He was really good. I said, you're looking for a place to hide. Get out. Do your own work. Don't work for anybody else. And he published a book six months later, this guy. And... I thought Stephen was so good that he needed to be helped, you know. I didn't feel that with many other people at all. I mean, I, I felt, I, I will say that I know and, you know, 
the people out there know how much of a mentor he's done been to so many people. So he he met yes he he was no question I uh, you know I got a tremendous gift uh, from that that moment. He recognized me and and was willing to sort of share with me and put it out there. But I think you know I think to Jay's credit, Jay's been um, somebody who's uh, I think inspired photographers and encouraged people and push people in a, in a, in a really incredibly positive way. I think even so. just to have heard you speak on a few occasions, even just being part of an audience is a lot to walk away with. You, you, you deliver a lot to whoever is opening their ears to you. Mm. Um, I just love the fact in part of the film, you're giving a speech. I figure where it was some years ago, but Kodak in, yeah. in Kodak and you got, I didn't prepare a speech because I want to be as surprised as you guys are at the end of the evening as to what I have to say. Um, and that's, I, I got that. I really, really did. Well, how, well, you know, to answer your question a little bit, I never picked anybody like Stephen to do anything with, but I did teach. And w that was a way of continuing that and having a lot of fun because I had about, Oh, geez, over a hundred workshops that I'd done, and I did another bunch at the bank for years, and so that was, in a way, trying to do that all over again. And how conscious were you of the fact that you were a mentor? Were you, in the case of Stephen, were you were you conscious of the fact that okay, I'm going to try to teach him something now, or was it just something that you you know you just let no, him I, soak I, it up? I didn't really try to teach him anything, you know. What he got out of it, he got because of his own perception and perceptiveness. But what I tried to do was keep him from making the same mistakes mm. that I made. I once called a mentor of mine who was not a photographer but an art director and a guy I looked up to, and I said, I got a job. He said, what kind of job? I said, I got a job as a designer at this magazine for 100 bucks a week. And he said, don't take it. I said, but man, it's $100 a week. This was in the 50s. And he said, don't take it. I said, why? And he said, you'll do better. And then I remembered years later, Stephen came to me and said, I can get a job at National Geo as an intern. I said, don't take it. And he said, why? He did. It's National Geo. I said, you'll do better. You'll do better. And he did. Yeah. No, but that was an amazing... I remember when you said that, because yeah. I was kind of like, well, you know... And Jay, you said something else to me that was really interesting and and I think very pivotal for me, which was he saw... And, and I share this with a lot of young photographers that I see, is that is that when a young photographer is just defining themselves... And they go with a big publication. And listen, in the early years, Nat Geo had a very, very heavy, profound effect on anybody who shot for them. And, you know, there's a certain look, a certain Nat Geo style. And when you're a young photographer, it becomes a very, it's a big influence on who you are. And so you don't have that opportunity. And Jay said to me, Stephen, you're just like, you know, you're just beginning to open. You don't need to be channeled that way. You need to just be able to sort of find your own level now. And that was just an amazing, amazing gift that you, you when you told me that, because it, it sort of took off the pressure of, I got to do it, got to do, you know, that's where everybody's running. And I realized that that's not where I should run right now. There'll be another opportunity. And, and sure enough, there was, you know, mm -hmm. down the road in my career, I'm fortunate to work with them very much now. And, and, but it's, it's in a different context in a way, which is really special. Did you ever let them 
go ahead on, and then did you ever let him flop? In other words, you knew that he was going to be making a mistake and say, let him do it anyway, no. just to learn? No. Interesting. Okay. Sometimes it's a way of learning. Well, he did, he flopped on his own. He didn't even. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember one time. You're not getting the free pass on this. No way. Are you kidding You're not me? Getting, <laughs> roast here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> one time I opened for him. Oh, yeah. In like a warm-up act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't remember. You had a photograph of 30 businessmen. You were scared. Oh, shriveling. he was unbelievable. Now I remember. <laughs> okay, this was fantastic. I mean, this was another one of the ones he saved my life. I was. I had to shoot 30 businessmen. Let's be real. The room was smaller than this room, I think, or about this size. Imagine doing 30 businessmen with a backdrop in a room this size. I mean, it was- How tall were they? <laughs> we had to put them up. We had to, we had to like a, you know, we had a little, um, uh, like a stage set so we could elevate them independently. And I had never done uh, at that point, I think it was my first big group portrait. And I said to Jay, I go, man, I'm just scared to death, you know, because I never talked to a CEO before. I didn't know anything. I was just completely like, I'm going to have 30 of these like super important guys there. And how do I do this? And, you know, he came in, don't worry, kid, just, just watch. <laughs> and he walks in. And again, it was one of those great lessons because he was Jay and he did not care about any of the fact that this is the CEO, that's the CMO. You know what? It was like he, he didn't care who they were, what they were. He just, I am Jay Maisel and, you know, how you doing? Do me a favor, move over here and keep your head up a little bit. And and he was just talking to them like they were just, you know, anybody. And I, I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's <laughs> that's kind of how you do it. You know, you don't, you don't get caught up in – because everybody around all these big executives, they're always yeah. so nervous yeah. and anxious, and they, they make you hysterical. But when you meet the actual people, they're like, yeah, what would you like me to do? And I saw him, the way he sort of moved through that, and, and it was – and it was great. And I was actually, you're right. I forgot about that one. That was one of the, that was one of my scariest big shoots I've ever done. That was the first big group shoot. Yeah. I, I was once listening yeah. to somebody talking about being in a situation like that where they were, had a for some really high powered people. Mm. And he was reminded before he went in, just keep one thing in mind. They hired you to take this picture, which means that you are as important as they are. And you have as much weight in that room as they do because you are there. More. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's an important lesson. You don't walk in, I'm just a photographer. No, I'm the photographer who was hired to take your picture. Right. And I have to make you look good. Here's what I want you to do. Right. So I guess that's what the lesson was there. Hmm. Take Jay, charge. Jay, but it was the way he took charge. You know, it was, that's it. I, I saw the way he acted. And that's like an incredible kind of gift to see, especially when it's your shoot. You know, when you have somebody come in there, it's one thing Jay's doing it, and I, and I'm just the assistant. I'm busy. I'm worrying about the packs and the lighting and everything. But he came in and just like, you know, no kid, watch. This is how you do it. You know, and it was pretty amazing. <laughs> was uh, was confidence ever a problem? I mean, have you been confident? Yeah, in your own way. <laughs> oh you know, yeah, no. Uh, I remember it. There's an art director named William Buckley had nothing to do with the political William mm -hmm. Buckley. And I got on an elevator with him by chance, and I desperately wanted to talk to him. And what came out of my mouth was <laughs> confetti. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. And, yeah, I've had it, but then at one point I thought, that's not doing me any good. Mm. I might as well, you know, take charge. And uh, when I walked in with a businessman, 
I basically, I felt like you said, I'm here to do the job, and I'm going to have fun. And this guy's going to have fun, too. And if he doesn't, fuck him, you know? <laughs> because I remember I had the chairman of IBM, and I really like to make it as easy as possible for these guys and direct them to do things that will make it comfortable. And so I, I did a, a drawing of a shoe, and I put it up on a radiator, and when he walked in, I said, there's your mark. And he said, which foot? I said, I'll give you a choice, okay? <laughs> but you, you can't treat these people with too much deference because they're used to that all the time. Yeah. And even the most, the worst narcissist likes to be treated as an equal. And these guys are used to being deferred to all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you walk in there and defer to them, you just want to track. But I, I mean, I once had a, had a thing with a guy doing a big oil embargo in 73. And I was, I had the bank, and we were talking about oil, and we were talking about the cost of oil, and I said something about, I got to heat 75 rooms, 72 rooms. He said, you have 72 rooms? I said, nobody said you had to be the richest person in the room, you know. <laughs> I owned him from then yeah, on. Right. <laughs> I mean, we were buddies. <laughs> and how much is it about that skill or ability to kind of know what it is to say at that moment, to kind of get to somebody and, and level the playing fields? Well, I don't necessarily know what to say. He mm. can tell you that. <laughs> but uh, I've Steven? tried always to be as honest as I can. Yeah. And that either gets you... Where you want to go, or, or in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Sometimes you can go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. But you see, I don't have a good memory. Mm. I can't really lie because I won't remember. Right. So I gave up being lying, and I, uh, you know, I tell the truth. But I think it, you project a certain energy to people, and I think that you know when he comes in the room, you know, and that's something I learned too. You you have a power as an art. You can come in and you just project an energy to somebody, and I, they know you mean business. You I know? was telling him that I spent. A half hour. I spent a week with him last week, and it took an hour <laughs> because he is so intense that that three of us after he left, we went, "Hi." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break and be back with Jay Mazel and Stephen Wilkes. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We are back. Stephen, uh, during the break, we started to have a conversation. We had to put a stop to it. And <laughs> all the good stuff was coming out. And you were talking about that you had a relationship with this building having grown up there in a certain sense and got your start there. And you always were telling Jay that if you ever sell this building, you got to let me know because we got to make a movie. And then one day you got the call that the building is being sold. Yeah, I used to, I mean, I used to actually just tease him and I'd say, you know, if you ever move, I got to film the move because it's going to be the mother of all moves, you know. <laughs> and he used to crack up and, you know, we just make fun of it. Like, there's no way I'm moving. And then, you know... I moved. Never, he moved. And then I got that phone call, and um, 
you know, something just came over me like immediately because, you know, the you things can, that... But wait, wait, you can't imply that I asked you to cover this. You thing. never, never implied okay. it. In fact, if anything... This was totally my idea, not his idea. He, but, he, were you kind of hoping thing. that he would do this, though? I mean, the, somewhere in the back of your head, were you saying somebody's got to film this? Somebody. Not necessarily Stephen. Okay. Because <laughs> Stephen, I knew, and my wife knew. My wife said, if you let Stephen do it, I don't care what he says, it's going to end up with a lift truck and drones. <laughs> and it did. And it did. He describes me as katsu. Uh, he allows me into the space. And well, you got to explain what katsu is. Well, most people know it's this no. weed an, an that's invasive growing. An invasive species, species. that I'm doesn't an, belong here and eats and everything and it takes over everything. impossible to destroy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, he told me that and I knew I had this moment where I just said, wow, the bank, I mean, the memories there, um, what he created there, it had this own, you know, I felt always felt the building had its almost its own life force mm. in a way. By the way, we kept um, referring to it as the bank, and I think we should clarify, I don't think we mentioned, it actually was a bank. Oh, yeah. The Germania, Germania Bank of New York. It, it started out being Germania Bank, and then when Germans got unpopular in 1914, it became the Commonwealth Bank. Ah. And when banks got unpop unpopular <laughs> in 1931, it was sold, uh, and manufacturers, Hanover Trust, bought it. There's a 14-year period I've been too lazy to investigate, but I bought it from manufacturers Hanover Trust who did not use it as a bank. They used it as storage. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. All right, so therefore it's the bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we, you know, he mentioned this to me and I just immediately thought, my goodness, that I've got to try to capture it before he starts, you know, packing everything up. And I sort of realized pretty quickly that uh, this was a, a unique opportunity uh, to use the move. And uh, torture and me. Torture Jay. <laughs> but really to tell his life story in a way, the, who he is as an artist, the way he sees the world, and also you know, connect to the sort of dynamic that we have, our relationship, our friendship, meant being it my mentor. It all comes through. And by the and, way, the, 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 the life of the building and your life are definitely entwined. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was, there, it was yeah. it, it, uh, that had to be a rough transition in so yeah. many levels that yeah. we could. And he helped it. <laughs> he helped the transition by bringing people to photograph my despair every day. <laughs> yes, yes. And he, you know, the, to, to his credit, he, you know, eventually gave in. He acquiesced, you know, to our constant, you know. But there were days we'd go in and, you know, we'd be in the president's office and Matt, as assistant, would go, he'd, we, we don't know what we're doing, so just wait. You know, it'd be one hour, two hours, three hours, and then, you know, Jay would say, okay, I'm going to be moving this. Now you guys can come up. It was a very sort of um, um, slow process, I would say, but, you know, I think he really did um, trust us to do what we did. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was I would set up these interviews with him, and that became, you know, really an important element, obviously, in the film as as because the, 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 the structure that we have is... Um, you know, move, interview, move, you know, the, the, it's, it, it kind of creates its own little narrative. And um, when I would do these interviews, um, I was really referencing the kind of conversations that Jay and I always have and that a few people really, you know, 
get to share those kind of things and go that deep in terms of photography and, and what, what he does and how he does it. And then I started to realize that I wanted to go and explore things that I never really knew about him. And, um, you know, what was great was that um, even though in the beginning of the film, he's kind of like, you know, playfully going, really, you want to do that? I can't do that. He eventually did it. And, um, and that, and I, I think that's um, what's really special about it. But it is a, um, for me, it was, I wanted to, um, take you to a place. I wanted you to experience this magical place, the bank, um, that I experienced and really also share with you, uh, I think all of the great lessons he taught me. And so in, in a strange way, I, I feel like I get to, um, to mentor the audience in a way through telling Jay's story. Absolutely. Well, one thing that's interesting for me in, in general is I imagine for, you know, the space itself probably holds as much emotional memory for you as, as maybe for you, because it, it, you absolutely, know, you, you, know, you know, Jay, uh, this is true. Uh, my wife met Jay before my family met Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember bringing Betty to the bank and uh, he uh, walked over to her and he was always curious who, who you're dating, you know, and he would, uh, he literally looks at her and he drops his glasses just like that and tilts his head down. He goes, what are your intentions? <laughs> and so, you know, it, I mean, my God, he was quite paternal. You know, he was, uh, you know, he really wanted to make sure this girl, uh, you know, wasn't going to take me out of my orbit, you know. And so, um, and then he, uh, you know, he loves Betty, you know, and 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 and, uh, and Betty loves him. I mean, so. The whole movie yeah. is a love story on many levels. It, yeah. It's a relationship between you two guys and it's a definite love between the two of you. Okay, call it friends, call it father, son, call it whatever you want. A bromance, yeah. A bromance, <laughs> but, okay. No, but there's, there's a special relationship they have. And then you have the relationship that each of you have to the building itself. Mm-hmm. And then relationship to the pieces and the objects. I mean, you pick up, things that you found on the street and you start talking about them. These are like mundane pieces of crap. But you, but you, and by the way, I'm the same way. I pick up, I, I pick up little treasures all the sure. time. Yeah, I don't have the do. room that you have, but you make them very real. I mean, you even make mention that you, you talk about the first piece of rusty junk you picked up when you were a teenager and you say, it's still around here somewhere mm-hmm. um, because it meant something and you saw something that you know you'll be able to use it sometime, somewhere. It changes the way you see. Exactly. That, that, and that's this is the thing that I, I really hope that people really take away is that he affects the way you see by what he collects, how he collects it. And also it's this idea that, you know, there's beauty in everything, you know, and, and I think that's the thing, the part of looking that uh, I, I used to, you know, he, well, I remember when I was first assisting him and we were in a terrible rainstorm and you, um, it was in the autumn and you got out of the car and you go, okay, man, you go, there's a, there's a great, great freaking picture here. I'm going out and I come back, tell me where the picture is. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's freaking pouring rainstorm outside. So he runs out of the car and the water's cascading down the windshield and it's fall. And I can, I'm seeing all these blurred images of color through the windshield. And I go, wow, that's like amazing. And, and so it was that, you know, that I was beginning to understand this idea that it's, 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 it's constant. It's everywhere. 
that looking, it's the joy that you get in looking as opposed to even the act of photographing. I think, you know, over the years, we will be doing something and inevitably we might see something and neither one of us can get our camera up fast enough, but it's just the idea that we saw that is so special. And, well, Jay, you had uh, said was, in, sorry, sure. um, fo- you know, photography is a form of collecting. Um, and maybe this is a chicken and the egg type of question, but were you a collector before you had the space to collect like this or did the space kind of uh, allow you this uh, freedom? The space helped. Yeah. The space helped. But the thing that we just he was just talking about is that when you see something, if you're an ordinary, normal human being, you say, eh. But if, if you have a certain kind of sensitivity... There's value to that thing. The average person doesn't see it. And I, I may be average, but I'm not normal. <laughs> I'll say that. And I find joy and promise and possibility in a lot of things that other people don't see. And I can't see getting rid of them. Yeah. And they they hold promise for me. They hold the possibility of doing something with them or just the joy of looking at them. What about the joy? I mean, for me, in in a similar situation, what I have things that I keep that others would call junk, and my wife certainly has called them junk, um, (laughs) it's about... It's about the memory also, and it's about where I was when I found it and, and why I kept it. And I may want to do something with it, but it may never happen, but that's not important. The point, the point is that it, it carries some kind of weight to me. But the, the memory is because of the thing, not where or how I found it. I mean, that might be anecdotal and interesting, but the actual joy is in the object mm. itself. And so mm. the things that you've collected over the years are all... There's a, a visual or a photographic relation to all of them, or did you no, collect no, everything? Has, I mean, could, nothing well, to do with photography, and everything to do with photography. Mm-hmm. When I when I pick them up, I never say, "Oh, I got a photograph." To it's just like, this is amazing. Look mm-hmm. look at this thing that somebody. But it's threw always something away. visual. I mean, for example, you don't collect uh, books, or or, or I do co- you? Collect, uh, I mean, you know, I, I collect a lot of stuff. But okay. Basically, we're talking about the aspect of collecting that has nothing whatsoever to do with value, Mm. intrinsic value, real value. Uh, We once had a gag, like if somebody came into my place, what would they steal? Right. (laughs) (laughs) They would go nuts. Well, there's a good line in the movie where the, the, <laughs> mover, the mover is speaking in Spanish. Oh, and, yeah, and they go, and they're like, giggling, and you see the subtitles. Right, like, what, you're saying, yeah. this is garbage, and this is for storage, and he's saying, wait, this is the stuff that should be storage, and this should be garbage, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, My I, editor <laughs> discovered that, uh, Armando Croto, was like, I was hysterical because he speaks Spanish, and he's right. like, wait, do you hear this? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. I was wondering what they were giggling about. Right. So. Yeah, that was a great moment. We, we had a woman <laughs> who did cleaning for us, mm. and... <laughs> She was very assiduous about trying to know the difference between what was what. And at one time, we we never had any cockroaches in the building, never. The water bugs ate them. (laughs) And the water bugs were huge. And the water bugs lived in a basement, and I never killed them because they stayed there. If they came up, they're dead. Anyway, one day, this woman comes to us, and she's holding in her hand a giant water bug. And she looks at my wife and she says, Art, 
Decoration or garbage? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? I wasn't the one over there. Oh, okay. Okay. The wife. okay. But but there's a thin line. Sure. There's a thin line. Okay. You know, like some people have accused me of being a hoarder, and I'm definitely not a hoarder because my definition of of a hoarder and a collector is a hoarder is ashamed of what they have mm. and a collector is proud, proud of what of they have. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good very point. true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Good but point. also he's a compulsive organizer. I mean, you, you know, he um, really? when he tells that story, <laughs> 4,800 uh, file cabinet. Oh, was, that was incredible. But the, 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 the thing that's interesting I felt about the bank, a friend of mine recently said this to me, and I, I think it's uh, really interesting, is that uh, he said, do you think um, – Jay made the bank or did the bank make Jay? Mm. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about it and it's kind of like, you know, the bank for Jay was, I, I see Jay as this young little plant that he, you know, uh, somebody gives a lifetime supply of miracle grow to. That's what the bank was. And in a sense, he had unbridled opportunity to just do whatever he wanted yeah. and grow into anything he wanted. Yeah. And I remember I used to come down and he'd show me something. He goes, yeah, I just came back to this. I started it's about two years ago. And mm-hmm. it would be exactly as he left it two years ago. And you know, there's something magical about that for a creative mind to be able to have that type of um, freedom. And he has the kind of mind to really keep expanding well, into even that, that and last actually take advantage of it. Of the hands. That's why I triggered that because I know that earlier in the film, it shows you checking on the status of the hands weighing down the foam. Right, right. And then the day you're moving, you say, okay, it's time to take a picture of it. And I knew that this was a period of time. And I know Mm. that's not the only thing you had laying around there that was Mm. aging Mm. and getting ready for its picture. Um, and that is a luxury that yeah, very few people it's ever have. Yeah, what, sure. what the bank did was allow me to have a palette yeah. that nobody else had. I could do anything I wanted in that place. And I could, as you said, leave it alone and walk away from it and it would be there. It was When I got it, it was like, what am I going to do with all this space? I had no idea until I bought it what size it was. You know, because I had expected somebody said, well, we got a bank. We're going to sell you a bank. And I said, okay, it's got to be a little two-story thing. I know the bank. It's on such and such a place. And it wasn't that. It was this humongous thing. And I, I turned to the guy and said, I can't afford this. And he said, oh, yeah, you can. He explained to me how I could. What I didn't know is he underestimated everything by about a 300% in figuring everything out. But it gave me an empty palette. I, I don't even know if palette is the right word. No, it was like a canvas, really. I mean, it, it was a three-dimensional it, canvas. It was a three-dimensional canvas. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, when I, I first walked in there, my impression of it was I was looking at sections of his mind. That each <laughs> each floor was some yeah. other absolutely thing that fascinated him, and he was literally going through like a deck in uh-uh. a way. It was kind of astounding because I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, every floor was something different, some other kind of thing that he was collecting that way that he was creating something with. You had the all the woodwork. You had the you know the, the room, the room for glass, glass yeah. and and it, it was like Macy's. Color, you got the, the ladies' uh, section, the <laughs> exactly. men's tie shoes. Yeah, exactly. yeah it <laughs> was actually, unbridled. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you something that I've never mentioned to you before. But one of the influences on that 
was that I knew Charles Ames and Ray Ames. I mean, only superficially, but I went to their place in California, and they had rooms full of things. Everything was a different room. And when I got to back, I said, I can do that. I can do different things. I don't have to just do one thing. That's great. I and, didn't know that. Yeah. and when I bought the bank, I uh, I didn't have any money. I mean, I tapped out on putting down a day in payment. And so when I didn't have any money, I, I would buy the biggest amount of volume I could for the least amount of yeah. money. And I think that was filing cabinet, right? And I began this filing cabinet obsession because it was the best way to store things. And little by little, I started filling the place up. And how I many didn't file- want to, and I did. And how many file cabinets did you openly fill? Well, we don't know how many file cabinets we have, and that's one of the big problems right now. We <laughs> we are going to move back into <laughs> the place at 181, and I'm at 177. And the sequel. I don't know what. Oh, the, really? <laughs> I can I can remember about 80. And we're talking about big files. We're uh-huh. not talking about little things. And it horrifies me to think that when I get it into this place, I won't be able to walk. Well, I got to tell you. Do you visit the storage space now where the stuff is? Or I, I, I visited once to try to press the shit out of yeah. me, and I got yeah. out of there. But I'm going to have to go label everything. Okay. The amazing thing is uh, Jeff Dunas uh, tells a story, uh, which is pretty funny, of... Uh, when he first moved to New York and he's like, yeah, you know, he wants to get some filing cabinets, some architectural files. He's got it all figured out. And it's like, you know, pretty early on in New York. You know, most guys are not really into that stuff. And he goes down to the Bowery and he goes, I think there's a place on Canal Street. And he walks and he'd heard this guy has more than anybody. This is the guy that you're going to buy, you know, stuff from. And Jeff walks in and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer. I'm looking for a certain kind of flat file. And he starts describing, he goes, Sorry, man, can't help you. He goes, come on, really? I mean, you must have stuff. He goes, no, no, anything that I get my hands on gets delivered to 190 The Bowery. (laughs) (laughs) Standing arrangement. This guy once sent me a file cabinet that I never knew existed, and it was seven feet by four feet. It would hold 40 by 60 print, and he just delivered it to me. And I, I called him, and I said, what are you doing? What is this? He said... I'll be damned if I was going to unload that fucking thing into my place and have to reload it to send it down to you. Yeah. You want it or not? He said, of course, you got any more. <laughs> I got to ask you yeah, go ahead. a question. We pretty much have what Steven's gotten out of the film. He had an opportunity to do a, a documentary that was in his head already and, and did an amazing job of it, okay? What's your takeaway, Jay? What did, when you look at this film now, what do you get from I haven't seen the You haven't iteration. seen it? No, he hasn't seen the, the no. final. I've got so the link if you want. Yeah, I can yeah. send it to you. Yeah, well, he, I want him to see it in the theater with the full sound and everything. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, that, so. oh that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Seen it. So it's going to be exciting. But, you know, you know so it's, no, very, it's very interesting because I had a dichotomy in my thinking about this film. I believe if you hire somebody or you ask somebody to do something, you got to let them do it. Yeah. You can't ride herd on them. It's why I say 
when art directors hire a photographer, they have done the most creative thing they can do. They picked a particular person to do that job. Now they got to leave him alone and let him do the job. And we've spoken about this. Mm-hmm. And so when Stephen started to do the film, part of me wanted to be involved in it. And then part of me remembered what it's like to be involved with something Stephen is doing. Never do that. <laughs> because he once did a book called Cal One. And he got me involved in the book. I didn't help him in any way. I mean, he did the whole book. But like he would say, should I use this or that? And I would say... It's shown pictures, yeah. That every fucking day for (laughs) 32 years, this went on 9 million hours a day. It was horrible. And so I thought, if I ask him to let me get involved in it. It could be that all over again, and my life is ruined. <laughs> so I, I've never had anything to do with this film. This is his baby. Mm. This is his. This is his creativity. So speak a little bit about the, the process. Can you tell us some basics in terms of how many people came in? How, how big was the crew? Well, we uh, had a great team. Yeah, you yeah. know, I had a really great young cinematographer, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Green, and assistant of mine, Christiana, who really were involved on a daily basis on the whole project. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, was blessed. I, I get a, a great young producer um, uh, team, uh, Emma Tammy and mm-hmm. uh, Henry Jacobson of Mindhive saw the teaser. And the reason they got interested was because uh, I'm blessed to have uh, my daughter is a just a wonderful creative um, who um, helped really shape the teaser. And that really showed people that this film had real potential, mm-hmm. that there was a real story in this. And that led us to, um, I had an, a, a great writer, Josh Alexander, and my first editor, uh, Armando Crota, and then um, second editor uh, on it was Daniel Horwith, just an amazing team. And then finally, Doug Blush, who's this you know Academy Award winning, uh, two-time Academy Award winning mm-hmm. uh, uh, supervising editor on the film. Um, so, you know, w- when you, um, and then of course my wife, Betty, who is um, executive producer, yeah. And just she's the one who makes everything really happen. She and, stirs the whole drink. So, you know, when you when you're lucky enough to have those kind of people involved in a project like this, it just really elevates it. Was what there was a production your, schedule? I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Was it all? Did were all the interviews done around that? Those last few days of the move. And yeah, the last we weeks we, and we did what well, was about you know five or six months of filming, mm. and then after that, you know, I um, I started. Um, we were trying to really begin to shape the film, and then we, um, we 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 had some downtime because I was doing a whole bunch of day to nights because um, I'm finishing my book right now. It's going to publish next um, in the spring next year. But what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, so this is like <laughs> the fact that I was doing these two things simultaneously was pretty overwhelming. And then you know one of the things I really you know I really wanted was I wanted I I really felt excited that we got this story once we sort of had the story flushed out and we had this narrative uh, going. Um, then it started to become, okay, the archival, how do you like, and so I started doing research and I got uh, friends of Jay, it's actually would send me emails, hey, Steven, uh, Matt, and I forget his last name, sent me the Kodak thing, that's how I knew about Kodak. And um, I ended up um, getting all this stuff, these sources, and and once I started finding the early footage of Jay, that really started you know, creating a you new- You shot some of that early yeah, footage Yeah, I did, too, right? I, in Which 1994, it was amazing that I actually found that, he couldn't believe it. Mm. I, I shot that with one of the earliest Sony video cameras in 94, and it was when Amanda was born, she was about three months old, 
And I remember filming it. I remembered filming it. And I went through all of these, you know, these, you know, the one inch uh, or what they were, the half inch, uh, you know, um, video tapes and found that. And it was like a godsend because it's still the quality was still there. And we were able to incorporate it into the film. How often would you guys see each other in... Let's say in the past 10, 20 years, because you were up in Connecticut, correct? And your career was taking off, you're traveling, were, were you guys... Well, I, t- I always love to try to get him to Connecticut, but that's like going to Abu Dhabi for Jay. Uh-huh, he uh-huh. doesn't really like yeah. to leave the, the city. And um, so, um, but we, we would talk, we always, you know, we talk um, at least, you know, every couple of weeks and or every week even. Um, and it's been more like that since the film, obviously. But I'm always, you know, we're always, you know, connecting or talking. I was you know, check in on him, see how he's doing, mm. you know. What sure about, what's the, your, what, how much did you shoot compared to, like the movie is uh, an hour and 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. How many hours of footage oh, do there's you have? 3,000 there, there's, there's probably six, over over 60 hours of footage. Yeah, I could, we could cut a whole separate. I mean, the oh, interviews sure. are really, you know, crazy how much stuff we talked about and things that we went into. But one of the things that I think uh, for me about the film that's really important is that I... You know, he's a very complex man, and um, I think that uh, one of the things that I'm sitting I, right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's okay. He's very charming, he but he's very complex. complex yeah. yeah, just um, play with your rubber band ball. Yeah. Be happy. <laughs> and that is is that this idea that you know um, he's got so many dimensions, and um, and so I started to to me it, like in everything that I try to do with whatever I do creatively. It's about creating depth and story, and I want you to discover something new every time you look at a picture of mine. And with this film, it was really important. I want you to discover something about Jay, you know, every time you look at this film, that it gives you something back. Did did you discover anything that you didn't know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, one of the things that was kind of interesting, and it's not in the film, but when we did that interview, I had read a story he had done. um, It was for... um, Cooper Union, they had done a little interview and Jay mentioned in the interview, he said, you know, he had a mentor in, you know, Ernst Haas was a mentor of his and, and Irving Penn. And I thought, wow, I never knew that. And uh, so we sat down in the bank one afternoon and spoke about that for a little bit. And that was really interesting. Um, hearing Jay speak about um, two other the, really the, well-known the, photographers the, that I never Ernst knew. Ernst Haas, by the way, he came, yeah. last I mean, week I, his name came up in discussion in, in a podcast, so it was interesting to have his name come up yeah. twice. Well, the, these were not mentors in the sense that no, I yeah. had contact, contact with them. Contact with you, exactly. But you saw their but pictures. But they were strong influences. Influences, yeah. Strong yeah. influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that was a really an interesting thing to hear him say that, that they had such a profound effect on him, influenced, you know. And did you they find may not that have known in, that he, they were mentoring him. In, mm-hmm. in the interview process, and maybe both of you can speak to this, was it, uh, did ultimately you get to the point where you felt like it was a real conversation, uh, like the conversation you might have had without the cameras on and stuff like that, or was that? The- yeah, I mean, I, I think there were really, I mean, we did a lot of interviews. I think when Jay starts talking about color, we just, both of us, you know, I just love hearing him talk about color. And so much of what I was hoping to do was uh, if you, the subtleties of what is going on behind Jay, you see Albers through his, you know, Mm -hmm. his collections, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's kind of magical in a way because you see how it transcends his whole, you know, the way he lives in a way. And then the, the, I think to me that the, there are certain moments in the film where Jay and I, and I think this is true in anybody where you, you have a conversation with somebody and you get to a certain point and then that person just like is willing to open and let go of some things. And I think that happened in the film. Jay talked about, you talked about your dad. I thought that was a really special moment. And I think those are the things that um, I think you walk away with too. There's, there's an, 
another level really of, of um, trying to understand what motivates an artist in a way, like how you deal with things that are difficult, sadness, stress, things that are painful, and how art and, and you know, for Jay looking and for seeing and photographing just makes that all go away. And I'm, I'm very much the same way. I mean, I, I feel that way that a lot of my, my pain as a, as a kid, uh, my escape was to run out and take pictures. So, um, you know, and I don't think people who may not really understand that, uh, I think how, will walk away with that. How old were you that. when you started taking pictures? I was uh, 13. Yeah. Yeah. That's very early. Yeah. I remember you said to me in the elevator, son of a bitch. He goes, I started when I was 18. You said 18 or 21, I think you said you started. Yeah. Was it 21? About 21. 21, yeah. That actually reminds me. I wanted to ask just a simple question, and and it's not even simple, but it's just throwing it out there. Someone talk about that elevator. Say something about it, because it seemed to be... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how many times did you go up and down that elevator? (laughs) A lot. A lot. A lot. And he was... There was a certain sound, like... The, the sound of the elevator, yeah. I'll never forget. And, and you know, that first moment when Jay kind of picked me up, I had no idea that this was, you know, Jay had, Jay was one of the early adopters of the clapper. So when I came <laughs> up into the building, um, his assistant said, just go up to two and wait there. And I was like, okay. And I get up to the, you know, it was the, the second floor and it's pitch black. And I'm like, I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> and he goes, clap. And I go, what? He goes, clap. So I clap and the lights go on. So then I go up to two. This is honestly kind of true. So then I get up to, you know, the second floor and I'm in this like another museum. I mean, it's like an ocean of photography, seriously. It's unlike anything. And I always said to people, whether Jay meant it or not, the setup, because he kept the bank on the outside so never did anything to it, let the graffiti artists do whatever they wanted. The windows were kind of closed up. You couldn't even see anybody live there. And then you'd come in through that MIG door. And I and I hope that feeling when you see that in the film, you understand how breathtaking it was because it's, you know, I really felt it was like the Wizard of Oz of photography, just giant dye transfers everywhere, 50-foot ceiling. You did, know, it was unbelievable. Did you have any uh, stuff of the basketball? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. It. Absolutely, yeah. 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 yeah, all of that's um, there. It's, it's very well documented. <laughs> it's from from its full unpacked, pre-packed, pre-packed state, state right. to the last day. And by the way, the, the, some of the scenes of the lights going out down yeah. the hallways. Yeah. yeah. Also, the there's sweep, not a moment the slides, the, oh, the yeah. shot with the, the sweeping of the slides. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's you know. But that's the scale. That yeah. that when you know how I, I got to tell the story how I you know that shot came about. So Jay was always you know when, when I first started working for him, he used to keep all his slides in these bags, and I used to go like, "What are these things? That why are all the slides in the bags?" And he goes, and his assistant said to me, "Right, he goes, look, he said." He's had a problem. We used to throw stuff out. Guys are stealing his outtakes and putting them in their portfolios. So he doesn't throw anything out anymore. So we store everything underneath, you know, in the basement. There was a vault area, and you see it in the beginning of the film. That's where Jay stored literally millions. On the steps. On the the steps, yeah, to the vault. Millions, and I mean millions of slides. So um, I came, when when he started to move, he, you know, had to get rid of that stuff finally. So he found out that, uh, you know, Iron Mountain actually does a nice shredding service. Right, a hundred dollars a container, and they actually calculated how many. If, if if his assistant Matt could 
you know, crunch down so many thousands of slides into the, the top of it, they could fit X amount of slides per container. So every day, Matt is pouring the slides in there, jumping, literally jumping up and down into them like a, you know, a, a compactor. And there's thousands of slides that are now flying out of the the actual container and covering the floor. So then he has to get a, br- a broom and mop everything up. And I'm on the second floor coming downstairs one day from filming and I see him sweeping up and I go, oh my God, stop, stop. right there. <laughs> that is stop. You can't, you, Jay's not allowed to throw out any more slides and I need all those slides. We are doing, the, that's the title credits. That's oh, it. Yeah. And that was it. And it was just, a, it was a beautiful moment because, you know, like I said, it, you, nobody really understands the scale of what he's created over the years. I do. And so, but that shot gives you a little inkling yeah. of just mm-hmm. how many photographs he's this man has taken over, <laughs> over you know, 60 years or 70 years. And I think it should be clear, anybody who sees this, this is not his filing system. No, 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 no definitely not. not. <laughs> These are his outtakes, yeah. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you remember the last shot you took in the bank? No. But it was probably Stephen trying to get me to see <laughs> Something that I didn't want to do. Okay. Well, wasn't it the the the, the hands the on hands? The, yeah, that was probably the last. Uh, that was that was taking yeah, the last, last day, day in the movie yeah, in yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he. I think one of the things that was really special for me was watching him. You know, in all this chaos, and I mean, it was you know, it was overwhelming in a lot, a lot of ways. Um, and but he always uh, he had this hit list, you know, like a punch list, like a contractor punch list. He had a picture hit list, and he was going down his hit list, and he knew the ones he wanted to get. And you know, the, my favorite really, Jay, was the the ice crystals when you when yeah because we we, yeah. we were talking about it, and like I love that series so much, and I know how special it is, and I didn't know if it was going to happen for us, and it was we got this really bad cold snap right towards the end of, of the film and, and, the, and the move. And I looked at Jay and I go, do you think we'll get ice crystals? And he looks at me and he goes, listen, man, I got to turn the heat way up to get those. And I go, I don't think LA is going to be very happy, but I go, do you think you could do it just for tonight? I'll set up a camera and then we could, we, I'll be in here early tomorrow morning and, and you could photograph it and I'll film it. And All right, man. So he, he does it, he does it, doesn't tell Linda, and he turns the heat up, and sure enough, baby, bingo, the ice crystals. It's it's, it's an amazing piece of work. It really, Thank really you. is. It's an accomplishment that I, I think both of you could just love forever. Well, it's his a, film. Well, thank you. I had nothing to do with the film. But he's, you know, he's the ultimate uh, subject, really. You know, and I, and I, you know. I wanted to be able to tell his he story. He has not told you how unwilling a subject I was. <laughs> yeah, that part I didn't get into. I think we but get the sense. You, you, get, the the you get it in the film. Yeah, you get a little bit it. in the beginning of the film. What I, do you guys really know what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Jay, did you ever shoot film? Did you ever shoot uh, motion pictures? I did a little yeah. bit, but um, it's not for me. Not for you. Yeah. I don't really work well with others. Yeah. And you have to work with others when you do film. Yeah. 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 It but is I, a real... It's a totally a collaboration. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I have a question for you that's not even related to the film, but I, you always have a camera with you. I did. I used to, yeah. Used to. Yeah. Now, I, always, I also noticed that you were using DSLRs, and I was just curious to know, do you use a phone at all to take pictures? Now? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I can't really work with the big cameras. I have difficulty... 
holding that kind of weight and standing up and taking pictures. So I, I what I've been doing for the last three years is editing what I've been sh what I shot for the last sixty years because I have a chance now because I can't go out and shoot. I have the possibility of being my own archivist, right. and so I put on my website everything that I shot in foreign countries, in New York, in every in the bank. And it's a privilege to be able to look back over that stuff. Most guys don't do it. They keep working and they die. Right. No. I want to get this done before I die. My last question was, is it a nightmare or is it a privilege at this stage to mm. be able to go back and look at oh, all the work you've done? It's and such a privilege. That's wonderful. I yeah. mean, it's so much fun. Yeah. I spent the last weekend in the south of France. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Incredible. The week before I was in Somalia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... There you go. And it brings back you, you have, everything. Yeah, the memories of these it places. It brings back memories, and you see things that uh, you wonder, why did I shoot so much? Mm. At, at times, I think, I'm really good. Good. I was going to say, are you <laughs> as good a photographer as they say? And, and then at other times, I say, did you do this to just be able to bill for the film? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why did you shoot so much? And the reason was it was insecurity. Because it wasn't digital. You never knew what you had. Exactly. You were shooting in Abu Dhabi or Mogadishu, and you know you're not going to be able to reshoot it. So if somebody asks you what exposure you use, all of them. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, they, they, and he did. I mean, well, one of the, I, I want to share one I overshot like a son of a he, bitch, he, and he, I'm paying for it. Now. Well, yeah. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, is, what is kind of amazing, though, is uh, when I started working for him, he took me up in a helicopter. He was doing a campaign for North Carolina, you remember? Yeah. And uh, I was the kind of assistant that he didn't really – ever have to scream at me because he knew I was going to commit Harry Carey, jump out of the helicopter. Yeah. So this is one time where I was getting, I was actually undoing my seatbelt because Jay was shooting a uh, fall foliage and I'm telling you, he would do, we used to call it uh, all the assistants, he, he would shoot every known exposure. So yeah. he would literally keep, he'd shoot, he'd keep his finger on the shutter, the shutter and then rotate the F-stop ring back and forth. Every it's note called bracketing. What's the problem? Bracketing, <laughs> right. But, but no, we're not talking. We're talking like, Bracketing you know, on steroids. On steroids. <laughs> okay. And what would happen is he would go through a roll of film in probably around three seconds, three and a half seconds. No, no, no. Whatever. It was fast. It seemed like you, there was no way. With four or five bodies, I was struggling keeping up with him. So I'm loading, loading. I can't even see. And all of a sudden I, I see him. He's going, oh man, this is great. He's got, you know, he's got like the dry cigar in his mouth. It's not lit because we're in a helicopter, <laughs> but he's got the dry one in his mouth. And he's going, oh my God, I got a buzzard against this. This is fantastic. And I would always count. Like I'd be counting frames. I'd be 30, 31, 32. 30. So I knew I can anticipate when to hand him another body. And then that that sick feeling comes over you because now he's hit 36, 37, 38, and, and now I'm beginning to die inside. And now I recognize that hollow sound that an icon has mm -hmm. when the film is not engaged. And now I know he's shooting blanks. So I've got to get that camera out of his hand without him realizing that everything he's just been screaming about does not exist as a photograph. Oh, so he... I put my hand to him. I go, camera, camera. And, he, and and it was like, as if he could read my eyes, I swear to you, he could read my face. He goes, 
<laughs> I'm like undoing my seatbelt. Seriously, I'm like. Don't say anything. I'll just step out. I'm just, just going to step out. It's not going to be that far of a fall. It's just, I'll, be, I'll be fine. No worries. You I'll know? probably pass out just before Just let my mother know my, I love her very much and, and I'll be good. And uh, he said, oh, don't worry. You know, you, I never had to scream at you like that. Uh, maybe I could throw one last question and maybe it's not even the last question, but uh, um, we'd like to do this for a while. Longer. I really, you know, there was... A lot of moments uh, with your daughter in the film that I, I thought was really insightful, and, and, and I like to hear her voice. Um, and of course, we're seeing the relationship, somewhat paternal relationship here. Um, what would you say your best skill as a as a father was? My, my you, yeah, your skill best your talent. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you don't think I have any. Oh, really? Okay. No, well, how, about I, as a, how about as a mentor then, as a father figure? Actually, uh, I'm incredibly proud of the kid and. Uh, uh, one of the things that she's um, really capable of is more sardonic humor than even I am capable of. <laughs> so you taught her well. More sarcasm, <laughs> more acerbic stuff. And uh, I'm just, I don't know what I did right, but she's amazing. Mm. And I, I don't take any credit because her mother did most of the work because I was away a lot of the time when she was growing up. But um, I don't I don't know what I did right. But I mean, it's like sometimes, like my classes when I taught them, I don't know what I did right. People mm. thought the classes were amazing. I have no idea what I was doing right, and I think it's the same thing with the kid. Yeah, I just being incredibly yourself. proud of her. Maybe just being yourself is what it takes, right? Well, I think he, you know, uh, I think he has an ability to. Um, you know, it, it's it's the way he inspires people in a way. I think that's the thing. You know, you he pushes, you know, makes you think about how far you can go and and what you need to do there. I mean, I, I when I started working with him, I thought I worked hard, you know, but he kind of redefined the work ethic. And I think those those are the kind of things that there's there's no secret to any kind of success in life, you know. But I think I remember very vividly he used to say to me, you know, you're. Your talent means nothing, kid. If you don't outwork everybody, you're just never going to get to the three percent. Mm. And um, that's a lesson I shared with my own children, mm. and I think it really impacted them. So, in in a strange way, he's actually mentored my kids. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there so uh, too. So it's been. Yeah, I think you know he doesn't acknowledge it, but believe me, that's uh, that's pervasive. And I think in. Oh. so the movie is coming out this week. And it's being premiered where? At Doc NYC. Yep. On uh, Sunday, we have a screening at 4.30 p.m. That's uh, Sunday, November? November 11th. It's at the large F SVA theater. So, um, yeah. And I, I believe if you can't get tickets, there's going to be an additional screening um, that's on the website as well on the 13th at 9.45 p.m. Any plans for commercial release? Oh, yeah. I mean, eventually, we're, we're right now in the throes of the whole festival thing. And so okay. we're really thrilled to be you know, world premiering here at Doc NYC, and uh, it's a it's a great great festival. And uh, if you go online to docnyc.com, you'll uh, be able to purchase tickets. I think you guys will have a hot link. One thing that's definitely worth noting is that this is not just for photographers. I think anybody who's into the creative arts, who's into visual arts, who wants to know what what the creative bug is, what makes people do things like take pictures of stuff. 
I think you get it after this. And it's also a beautifully crafted film if you want to know what good editing is. The music is even beautiful. Thank you. Soundtrack. Oh, let me say one thing. I didn't mention Joel Goodman, who is an incredible composer on the music. So I got to acknowledge Joel. I I was very aware of that. Yeah, Joel's a genius and and really uh, brought you know, so much to the film. So that, yeah, all, I mean, this is what, what you've learned about, um, for me as a novice filmmaker is that all of these elements, all these, you know, you're fortunate enough to work with really good people that have a real talent. And I think the one unifying thing that I looked for in everybody that I, you know, really chose to work on this project from the beginning was, are they passionate about this idea about this film? And that's really what I try to do is just bring people who, felt the same kind of passion that I did for this project. And I think that transcends the film in a way. And one little heads up for those of you who are into uh, uh, history of film, there is a wonderful rosebud moment. Uh, If you want to know about uh, the name of the film, Jay Myself, watch till the very end and you'll have a good chuckle. I promise you it's wonderful to the last frame. Thank you both for being here. Jay Maisel, Stephen Wilkes, it's a pleasure having Either one of you here and both of you here at the same time is just a treat. If you are not a subscriber to the B&H Photography Podcast, what you're waiting for. It is free. It's terrific. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify. And you can find us on the B&H website, Explorer. For now, on behalf of Jay, Stephen, Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs> 